Chapter 18, there was a lot of, um, a lot of commotion, you might say. There was a lot of turmoil. Uh, what, what was the mood in 18? The overall mood. Joyous or mourning? Well, why were they mourning? Judgment. Your team lost. Uh, that's actually a pretty good analogy, Gary. Okay. Well, what team lost was in the process of losing. And in God's eyes, in Jesus, the way they, uh, John, the way they wrote it, they, it was already over. They lost, but it was a process over a few hundred years before. Um, what were they so upset about? The world. Because uh, Rome ruled the world. Lance. One of the things that happened was there was a power vacuum that was created. Um, and, and anytime you have that, just in general, the world becomes more chaotic if you don't have one of God's established authorities ruling and exerting <clears throat> law. Okay, there was a period there, uh, certainly after the Romans went out of power, maybe around 1000 AD, where there was the Dark Ages, where there were, it was dark, it was a dark time. Um, okay, that, that, that's true. When, when people start losing their fortunes, and that's what was happening in, in, uh, in that chapter 18 where, um, what kind of people were losing their fortunes? Merchants. Merchants. Other kings. Other kings. They, they depended on Rome. Who else? Shippers. The, the nautical people, the sailors, and all of that. Uh, the, the, the merchants, they, they were losing, they were losing the, their livelihood. So we've got that, then we come to 19. And how does 19 open? Say again, hallelujah. Hear this loud shout. You, you might say the heavens were pulled back, <clears throat> and there were this great grand multitude of, of, of probably millions and millions of people uh, shouting and praising God, Alleluia. Um, glory and salvation and honor and power belong to the Lord. We're going to see tonight when the big battle starts, how that, how that turns out. They use the word uh, Alleluia four different times. We talked about that. <clears throat> then they have an analogy um, of a marriage. And even in the Old Testament, God um, viewed his people as his spouse, his bride. Remember the book of Hosea, which Sean brought up? Um, and how she was unfaithful to Hosea, which represented the, uh, Israel's unfaithfulness to, to, to God. Um, in the book of Ephesians, you know, Ephesians 5, 2 Corinthians 11, and we can go on and on, talks about... <clears throat> the relationship of, of Christ and his bride. Who is his bride? Yeah, it's just as clear as it can be. It's talking about the church, um, the saved. The, um, so who is happy here and who's going to be even sadder? Uh, the, 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 the church, his people, uh, are going to be ecstatic. And remember all the way back in uh, Revelation 6 and Revelation 7, where um, 
where the, the martyrs were saying to God, how long, basically, well, I'm paraphrasing, but how long are you going to put up with this? Why are you not going to avenge us? And, and the Lord said, you just rest a while. I'm going to take care of it on my time. So I think <clears throat> now is that time over the next, over the next few chapters. Now, keep in mind <clears throat> that a lot of symbolism here, but symbols mean something. I just don't think you can gloss over symbols, or God wouldn't put them in there. They mean something. But we've got to look at the big picture. And we talk, in case you weren't here on Sunday, I think it's real important that things to remember. Veronica said, you have it so small. Uh, what's your problem? So um, I don't know. I'll make it bigger on Sunday. I'll try to do better on that. Um, whatever answers we can come up with on 19, well, through the whole book, but we're talking about 19, have to be consistent with the rest of the Bible. Has to be. You can't uh, go back through uh, the first um, 26 books, um, uh, 25 books in the New Testament, 39, 27, 66. So 26 books in the New Testament, and... Um, and where it, things are so plain and get over here and make it something else. You can't do that. It's not consistent. And it must be consistent with the theme of the book of Revelation. Now, what was the theme again of the book of Revelation? There, there are probably multiple themes, but what, what, what's a theme that you just you can yell it out if you like? Victory. Jesus wins and his followers. Uh, how long a period of time? Thousands and thousands of years? It's going to happen shortly. Got to keep that in context. He says that twice, actually. Um, it's not uh, World War II. It's not Saddam Hussein. It's not the big nuclear war. It, it, it would mean nothing to them, and it's not consistent with the message here. And it had to mean something to first century people. Lessons for us, no doubt but it had to mean something to them. Okay, so we, any questions or comments before we get into tonight's stuff? We talked about that already. <clears throat> okay, in, anyone? Okay, just raise your hand if, you, if, you're, uh, if, you, if you're ready for that. Um, let's go to verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. I've read that so many times. There are powerful words in this verse, powerful words. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look, since we've got a little time tonight, I want to look at some of them. Number one, the picture of a horse. Did most warriors, did most, during that time at least, were they footmen, were they infantry, or were they cavalry? Pardon? Infantry. They were infantry. So if somebody had a horse, you were, you were pretty important. You were some kind of leader, some kind of captain or some kind of general or something because you didn't, the average person didn't ride horses into battle. Now, not only that, I'm coming, Lance. Not only that, or, or Greg, did you have your hand up? Uh, not only that, but it was white. So here's something of uh, symbolic of power, of authority, the fact that it's a horse, uh, and going into battle, and it was white. What's the idea there? White. Purity. Purity. Okay. Go with that. 
so here's, we're going to see who this is in a second. Well, who is it? I'll ask the question. It's Jesus. All right, so uh, Lance, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I missed you. There was, I'm trying to remember where that was, but Don's shaking his head, so he's right. Uh, it, yes, to answer your question, absolutely, yes. Um, and in fact, when they would overtake people and conquer other peoples, it sounds brutal to us. And my sister raises horses for a living, so I mean, she would just, she'd probably walk out now, right now. And she may watch this later online. Uh, what were they to do with all these war horses after they conquered them? Hamstring them. You'd cut the, the back of their legs so they couldn't be used in war anymore. Ooh. So um, uh, that, that, that's a horse. Now, he who sat on him or was called faithful and true. This is Jesus. He said, y'all rest a little while. I'm going to come and avenge my, the saint's blood. I'm, I'm coming. Well, can we believe him? says he's faithful and he's true. What, what is, if someone is faithful and true to a promise and they have a reputation of being faithful and true, can you take that to the proverbial bank? This is going to take place. Why? Because I said it. And I'm faithful and true, coming on a powerful horse, authority, and I'm uh, and the horse is white, purity and, and cleanliness and all of that. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, I've, I've just glossed over that and went straight to verse 2. What are the motivations of, maybe there are exceptions. I don't know of any. I like history. There, maybe there were. Wars generally, what kind of motivations do people have when they make war? Can you trust the diplomats? Do you usually, can, can, do they always tell the truth? Do they um, um, sign agreements that are later violated over and over and over? We don't have to look any further than World War II. And you can go back even further than that. So. <clears throat> Their motivation is less than pure. I guess we could say that. What's Jesus' motivation based on that on verse 11? I'm faithful and true, and we're going to wage this war. Not going to last long, but anyway, we're going to wage this war. And it's a war of what? Righteousness. That's huge. That's huge. It's a war of righteousness. It's a war. Of, I thought Jesus and, and God, his, his Father, I thought they were grace, love, mercy, kindness, long-suffering. Yes. Well, sound like they're going to war. What evidently has happened, Scott? Okay, as far as the kingdom is concerned, that, that, that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> God is, and Jesus, they're all those things. 
But eventually, God's patience runs out. Now, you don't want anybody to perish. But so this is a war of righteousness. Is Jesus unrighteous to declare this war? No, he's just out of patience. Greg. I mean, the Rome was the most powerful nation as far as ruling the world there probably has ever been, and it was for 800, I've heard different numbers, 650 to 800, 1,000 years. And now, as it get, you got past about 500, it started really waning. But anyway, the first five, 600 years, they, nobody messed with Rome. And you thought, well, this is, they're invincible. No, they're not. They're not, Don. Isaiah, looking forward to this, chapter 11, verse 3, says he will not judge on what he sees, and he will not make decisions on what he hears. You know, the, when you look at the righteousness of God, it, it sees the big picture. There's more to it going on than what we can see, and we don't understand what that big picture is. Jesus did. And he, he knows when to act He's still on his throne. He's as powerful as he's ever been and shall always be. And when things look the darkest, sometimes he does his best work. He does. We've seen that all through the Old Testament. That when things look hopeless, we, and boy, we could be here all night talking about all the situations where uh, God with just a very few people routed 100,000. So when things look rough, He's still there, and he's got a plan, and it's unfolding. We just don't see it. We just don't see it. We talked about Job, and we won't get into all that again, but a good one there. Okay, very good. Um, <clears throat> his eyes were like a flame. Talked a little bit about that. It's already been used uh, early in the book. Flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. I've glossed over that verse before. I'm going to read it, and I go, what? Let's go to the next one. No, Let, let's dig on this a while. His eyes were like a flame. I don't think that's, that's too difficult there. What's the picture there? His eyes were like fire, like flame. Literally? No. What does that mean? I see all. I see all. I see your heart. I know what your motivations are. I see everything, and it's piercing, as someone said. That's probably as good a word as you can get. It's piercing. And on his head were many crowns. I found that interesting. What do kings wear? A crown. 
He had many crowns. King of kings, Lord of lords. And it's interesting here that this word crown, there's two different words in, in, the, in the original language. One is diadem or diadema, if I'm saying that right. That's what this word is. That's a person of great authority who has the diadem, transliteration. And there's one that's also crown. Paul uses that when you run in a race. Um, of uh, like, like if you win a, you're running a race or you're in the Olympics or something and they give you an olive branch or they give you a crown or a gold medal, that's what the other word crown can be translated into. Uh, this is the diadem. This is the real deal. This is, this is a personality of great authority. And as Michelle said, he didn't have one crown. He had many crowns. King of kings, Lord of lords, not to be trifled with. No one comes second. No one comes a close second. Um, and then it says, <laughs> he had a name written that no one knew except himself. I have an idea, but I'll open that one up. A name that no one knew except himself. Now, while you're thinking, go to Matthew eleven twenty-seven. Matthew eleven twenty-seven, <clears throat> and when you get there, someone with a loud voice, read Matthew eleven twenty-seven. You mean to say that there are some things, and I'll say even, yea, many things, that we do not understand or know about God or know about his son. And we won't on this earth. But we know enough to know to be in awe, but we're just scratching the surface. Because he said, I've got a name that, that no one really knows. You don't know the depth of me, Jesus. You, you, we just don't. We, we can't on this earth. I think our jaw will drop when we get to heaven and when we say, wow, I didn't know all that. No, we didn't. But he said, he said no one knows. And then in Matthew, you don't know the extent of, of me and my power except the Father. And, and vice versa, John. Right. No, no, you're right. And it could be a literal name, you know, Y-H-W-H, which we'll get down toward the bottom, Yahweh, that kind of thing. There's no vowels in that name. Uh, I think it, but you're right, John, but I think it's more than that. I think it's the persona, the power that we just cannot grasp, and even if he told us we couldn't, probably couldn't grasp it on this earth with these mortal minds. I think that's what it means. Wouldn't argue about it, but I, I, think, I think that's it. Sean, you go, I'm, help me out, brother. No, I agree. I, I think he went to the name of God in the Bible. Every mm -hmm. name of God is really given to us in the scribes, I believe. That's right. To let us know something about God. And even with all those names, we see here there are things about 
Can't, they can't get it. You're right. You're, yeah, no, I think so, Gary. I'm coming. Just a second. That's why, you know, when the scribes, they used to, uh, when they'd get to the word El Shaddai or, or, or uh, Elohim and, and all those different names, they would take their pen. Sometimes they'd get a new pen, new quill, or they would wipe it off with a, with a cloth before they would even write his name out of respect for him. Now, compare and contrast that to today. OMG, NCAA, Facebook. When I see the OMG, I delete you. I cannot even say that. Because you know what that means. And use his, watch any, we like home and garden TV. I know a lot of people do. Oh my, mm. Well, it's just a wall, but compare and what, contrast what they, in the Old Testament, how they respected the name, and we use it, I say we, you know, the, the, the world uses it just like nothing. Can't do it. You can't take his name in vain. And we heard that before, very early, even in the Ten Commandments. Okay, Gary. I go back to when I... I think that's one of the facets of the diamond. I think it's a lot more than that, but I, but I think that's one of the, uh, uh, you know, diamond with all this beauty. But you're right on it. I think you're right on it. Um, but they had, they're going to have this great marriage feast. Can you imagine when we have that, the marriage is consummated on the last day, and he takes his saints home, and the feast, the shouting, the singing, being able to see God, being able to see Jesus, being able to, to see the Spirit and, and try to figure out what all that was about, you know, with, with the Holy Spirit. I mean, because it's a little bit mysterious, even though it's not that mysterious, but what a great day that's going to be. And you think we'll be whispering up there like some people whisper? I don't think so. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. He's clothed with a robe. Dipped in blood, interesting. Dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, dipped in blood. Whose blood? Uh, I, I heard Michelle say his blood. I think that's true. Dennis, I, I said his blood, yeah. It could be the Yep. Yep. Okay, uh, it could be Jesus's blood. If I had to, ch I think it could be two or three things. Honestly, I would lean toward that. 
because that's important, obviously important to all of us. He is, a, he is vowed to avenge the blood of the saints. And we're getting ready to go into a war uh, with, um, with, the, with the angels. It's going to be a short war. Even though all their whole earth is going to gather against him. Uh, it could be the, the blood of the saints. It could be the blood of his enemies. I think if I was ranking the three, that would be number three. Uh, the number two would probably be the blood of the saints, and first would be his blood. That's just how I view it. There may be some other aspects of this uh, robe that's dipped in blood, but it ties in very early on. Remember when Sean was talking about the seven seals and no one was able to, to break the seal? And everybody was upset, and they should have been. And, the, and they looked off to the side, and here was a lamb that was bloody and of course it was Jesus that 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 visual that God gave us and he was able to open so it, it more than likely was that but the other two I could see that the blood of the saints because he said I'm gonna avenge you the blood of the saints he used that two or three times here uh, any other thoughts there hmm He does. This, this robe you describe is like purple or anything. It's dipped in blood. Yeah. What is an interesting, interesting way to describe the Lord? It, it was. And he's, his name is called, I'm going to have to move, Don. Uh, I, I, I got, I'll come back, though, I promise, if I can. I got seven verses in about seven minutes. Uh, maybe a little bit more than that. He's called the Word of God. Where have we seen that before? John 1. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. The word. And the armies in heaven were clothed in fine linen, uh, verse number 14, white and clean, and followed him on white horses. There's that white horse again. <clears throat> we touched on this a little bit Sunday. Now, our, uh, armies don't met going out to a major battle. You're not wearing white linen. Number one, you're going to get it real dirty real quick. Um, and it's not going to stop spears and archers and all of that. I find that interesting. He's coming with an army, but the army doesn't look like they're ready for a fight. There's a reason for that, and we'll get down to it in a second. And they followed him on white horses, purity. The, they, they were dressed in uh, fight, uh, uh, fine linen, white and clean. The word clean there is, is, a, um, is a word that connotes um, um, washing, like washing clothes, clean and, and bright, uh, clean and white. Um, <clears throat> out of his mouth, verse 15, we've got to keep moving. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with that, he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. Not literally, no, symbolic, and we just, and, and with it he should strike the nation. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Uh, so we, I think we're talking about that word again, that sharp, uh, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, 
and is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that word, they've been judged and found what? Found wanting or found guilty. And now, um, a rod of iron, is that a, a feather? No, it's, I've been patient with you people for a long time. Now it's, now it's going to get rough for you. And it's like a wine press. How did they press out grapes in, in the old, old times? Well, I guess they maybe. They trampled them with their feet. And they destroyed the grapes but got the juice. Well, that's the wine press that you guys are getting ready to go through. And it's going to be with a rod of iron. Now, everybody talks about the love of God, and we should. And, oh, God wants me to be happy. He wants all these things. I love, I can be married 12 times, but as long as I found the love of my life, you know, God wants me to be happy. Really. Um, God is a just God, too. And justice demands punishment. Otherwise, it's not justice. We see that in the country today. How much justice we got? Well, what does that cause? More lawlessness? without justice. So, yes, he's a God of love. Uh, to down the cross? I think so. But he's a God of justice, and he will take care of his business, and it's going to get rough for some folks. And he had, <clears throat> pardon me. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I just found that interesting. Um, on his robe, of course, it's something you can see. What about the thigh? He's sitting on a horse now. And he has his name written on his thigh. If you're sitting on a horse, you gonna be able to see that name? More than likely. So he's got it on him, he's got it on his robe. In case if you didn't know, this is this is this is this is Jesus. King of kings and Lord of Lords. I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now think about that a second. I saw an angel. Standing in the sun. Well, if you're standing in the sun, how are you going to see an angel that's so bright? Angel's brighter than the sun. And where has that angel just recently come from? Where did he get all this brightness? From God. From Jesus. In heaven. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, come, to, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. What kind of supper are um, you talking about here? Yeah. There's going to be the eating, and there's going to be the eaters. Two, there's only two classes. Oh, my. There's only two classes of people here. The eating and all these carcasses, and there's going to be the eaters. The, the aggressors, that's going to be Jesus and his folks, and they're going to kill them all. Interesting. You may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Who all is getting ready to reap what they've sown here? Just the rich, the kings, everybody. Two classes of people. And there'll be the two classes of people on the last day. The saved and the unsaved. Same way here. And, um, I mean, that's kind of a, of a we'd call it a, maybe a gross picture. 
you got all these, uh, who knows how many people there uh, at this war and they're, and they're dead and you've got birds pecking their eyes out and, and, and all of this. Yes, it is gross. It's gross to be lost. It really is. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war. So here's all the earth ready to go to war. Boy, they are, they're locked and loaded. To make war against him who sat on the horse, Jesus. Now notice the outcome. He didn't go on for a chapter. And then, you know, we, we had the Battle of the Bulge there where it got a little bit tight. And we had D-Day and all of these things. Um, look at verse 20. And the beast was captured. That's it? This is the great Armageddon we looked at? Yeah. There's no war, there's no fight. You're fighting against Jesus. You lose. You will lose every time. It was captured with him and the false prophet and who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. Of course, that has all kinds of... Um, uh, symbolism with, with the Romans and, and the Marks and, the, you know, you couldn't do business, all of that. We talked about that before. And who worshipped his image. And they were, cast into, <clears throat> they were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest, there were some stragglers, some must have got away. I don't know how. The verse says, and the rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him, was set on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, remember, this is symbolism. I get it. Now, Donna, I, I do have a minute. Let me come back to you. When you look at the rope, is spattered with blood or blood mm -hmm. stain. No creature in heaven or earth, no individual can wear that as a symbol of office, except the one who shed his, shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice. So when you look at the many diadems, all crowns, kings of the earth are thrown before God, or before the Christ. And he wears the symbol of his office, worthy is the lamb, go back to chapter five, to bring it forward. It is, it, it's not the color that is worn by royalty, it is the color of the sacrifice. Good point. Real quickly, this battle of Armageddon was fought a couple thousand years ago, this symbolic battle. The persecuting force against the church was brought down. Babylon or Rome. Brought down. And history says that too. Secular history. And there's never been since the fall of Rome a power enforcing emperor worship on the scale that Rome did. Now there have been, there have been people like that. But not for a thousand years. Not for 50 years. Generally maybe 10 years. We see that in some of the wars and all. Um, but not on that scale where emperor worship, hundreds of thousands of Christians killed, all of that. And I'll tell you, I don't think we'll ever see that again either. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Last slide. Well, it was the last slide. I thought I had some lessons there, but that's okay. Uh, questions, comments? Yeah. Maybe we might have a minute or two at the most. Revelation 19, so many powerful thoughts and words in here. When you start digging below, uh, instead of just reading, really digging and scratching. Good, good stuff.
Good stuff. No? Perfect. Thank you. We will do Revelation 20 on Sunday, or we'll start it.